Hello, and welcome to another edition of Wood Chat, a Forest and Wood Products Australia podcast. Earlier this year, the FWPA supported Centre for Timber Durability and Design Life entered an exciting new stage in its evolution uh, with the appointment of its new director, Professor Tripti Singh. And with more than 20 years of experience in managing collaborative, multi-million dollar research programs, Professor Singh is a leading figure in wood protection research. Uh, She also has a long history with the centre itself, having served on its International Advisory Committee since its launch uh, in 2017. Operating out of the University of the Sunshine Coast, the mission of the centre has always been to return Australia to the forefront of international best practice, underpinning consumer confidence in timber product performance. Since its establishment, uh, the centre has made important inroads in working with industry to ensure Australia has access to the world's leading research and building strong links between industry, academia and customers. As well as overseeing vital research projects of significant value to the sector, the centre continues to educate the next generation of durability scientists, boosting Australian research capacity. Uh, In 2023, 20 associated researchers and students now call the centre home. Uh, Here at Woodchats, we last gave an update on the centre back in episode 26 by catching up with Tripti's predecessor, Professor Jeff Morell, uh, following the great news that a hugely positive midterm centre review had resulted in the extension of its activities for a further five years and with the potential for three more. Uh, But for this episode... I caught up with Tripti to find out about her plans and vision for the future of the centre and how she has found her first few months in the role. Since I arrived, I have been pleased with the warm welcome I have received. The partners and stakeholders who I have met, they all want to see the centre succeed, which is all very, very positive. My predecessor Mm. has laid an excellent foundation and I just need to build on it Mm. and somehow reinvigorate Mm. some of the areas. So what I've been doing is assessing the current project and research initiative and looking at ongoing progress Mm. along with work on the strategic plan, outlining the short-term and the long-term objective, including the research focus, the collaboration and the funding strategy. I need to be reminded that this is a national center not just one or two state-centric. The research we are doing has to benefit all of Australian timber industry. Maybe speaking short-term and long-term, what would you say your vision or main priorities for the centre are looking like at the moment? In the short term, I want to see Timber Durability Centre as a trusted partner and be transparent and 
approachable. I do see there is a little bit of gap in the outreach and communication with the stakeholders. So how can we outreach better with our stakeholder, our partners in this next phase that mm-hmm. would be quite a crucial thing for me? Yeah, definitely. Because it's all about collaboration, isn't it? And and bringing yeah. the industry in, bringing academia and all kind of working together for the, the good of the industry and, and knowing that what you're working on is going to have real benefit. Absolutely. We want to develop an outreach strategy to communicate the center's achievement to the public, to the stakeholder and the collaborators. And in the longer term, I want to lead the center towards a sustainable future where timber product stands as a symbol of durability, innovation, and environmental responsibility. So I envisage a world where timber through the cutting edge research becomes the material of choice over, say, concrete and steel. So it's it's not just the sustainability, it's other attribute. Timber is the best product for certain application. There is a lot of research and development is happening, particularly in the engineering space, and we need to really capitalize on that. Engineered wood product is the future for timber industry. And those engineered wood product have taken the timber and the wood to the space where they easily compete with other product like concrete and steel. So it's about focusing on projects that will help to demonstrate that timber is a Absolutely. good Absolutely. Let's face it, durability is the most important factor defining the suitability of timber species for an specific application. I do want to work towards more measurable impact, developing case study where we highlighting the successful implementation of our research, showing its practical implication for a certain industry a certain group. One thing that Jeff always used to um, talk about that was a priority over and above the actual outcomes of the research was also building the capacity of the research sector by, you know, engaging research talent in the area of timber durability. Is that something that you are hoping to continue to nurture, that network of uh, of researchers that do have an interest in, in that area? Oh, absolutely. There is only two core missions from my point of view to create coordinated research in timber durability and design life across Australia. And the second one is to provide opportunity for early career researcher, master's, PhD. I have every intention to continue that. Currently, we have um, at least four PhD students, a couple mm-hmm. of master's students, and we are already interviewing and hiring some more. Maybe if we could just take a step back and just talk a little bit about what you were doing before. So a a little bit about your own experience and background in the area of timber durability, because I I believe that you are a very well-recognized name in that space. So I've been working at Scion Research in New Zealand. This is a Crown Research Institute. And I was leading basically the timber durability processing and timber standards development, looking the whole value chain. But my focus was 
on timber product and its durability mainly, uh, which is quite similar to here. So I've been working there for last 20 odd years. I actually did my PhD based at Scion. My PhD was on sap stain, uh, which is a problem for the log. Just jumping in here for a second, for anybody unfamiliar, sap stain is a discoloration in sapwood caused by um, a multitude of various uh, fungi. Uh, so yes, hopefully that'll make a little bit more sense if you were unfamiliar uh, with that word prior to this episode. It's a massive problem because mm. in New Zealand, there is lots and lots of radiata pine and log get exported all over the world, particularly in the Asian country like China and Korea. And by the time it takes from New Zealand to get to those countries, it takes around six weeks. And that six week time, some of the log, the value because of the sap stain get degraded. So my research was looking at how to control using biological methods. Uh, usually it's using the nasty chemicals, but I had developed a technology where using naturally by control agent trichoderma and uh, chitosan, which is a grass compound and combination of those two were quite effective. And I'd just be interested to know then every country is different in terms of the challenges that it might face and in terms of timber durability or, or biosecurity or, or whatever it might be. How yeah. similar are Australia and New Zealand? Because obviously people would assume just based on geography that they yeah. make similar issues. But I guess that might not be the case. <laughs> yeah, you would be surprised to know that it's quite different, particularly in terms of uh, insect and uh, the termite issue. In New Zealand, there is very little to no termite issue. Whereas in Australia, termite is the biggest culprit for damaging Australian homes and timber product. However, both countries, there is more and more plantation grown species and some softwood species. In New Zealand, there is very little native hardwood species, whereas in Australia, we are lucky to have lots and lots of eucalypts, which they are quite durable. However, in Australia, as you know, there is a quite a bit of restriction in native deforestation because of the constraint and not being able to cut those trees. There is more and more plantation grown species that are being planted and intensively managed. And I suppose you've got in Australia much more variable climate. Yes, absolutely. Facing different issues, I would expect, in Victoria than you would in the Northern Territory or Queensland. Yeah, absolutely. So you can imagine that down in Hobart, the condition is very similar to New Zealand, Mm. whereas up north in Darwin and other areas, they are very, very different. So yes, you are absolutely right. It's a big country and different environment and therefore different challenges. And that goes back to what you were saying before about the fact that it is a national centre. And so you need to yeah. make sure that you are focusing on work that covers or is applicable to a variety of different climates. So that in itself would be a bit of a unique challenge, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. We'll hear more from Tripti shortly. 
But before we do, uh, when asked to suggest a couple of key centre-supported projects to highlight during this episode, her first suggestion actually related to particular issues that she just touched upon, uh, namely termites and the increasing reliance on fast-grown plantation heartwood species in Australia. Uh, Tripti connected me with uh, Scott Klein-Schmidt, Director at Australian Timber and Pest Research, to discuss his work in assessing the termite resistance uh, of this particular type of timber. So, yeah, here's what Scott had to say during our catch-up. The aim of the study is uh, the radial variation in natural termite resistance of timber sourced from a fast-grown plantation hardwood species. And in this case, it's Gimpy Messmate, which is uh, Eucalyptus cloisiana. I don't think I need to explain to, to you uh, nor your listeners the importance of timber. In extremely environmentally friendly, takes in the carbon dioxide and releases oxygen, stores carbon, and of course it's completely renewable. You just cut down the tree and you can you can replant. Exactly. It's um, the most renewable industry that we have really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I believe that once that message really gets through to the public, we're going to see an increase in, in timber usage. But one of the downsides, of course, is it's a natural product and it can actually be uh, attacked by decay and insects. And my specialty is termites. So we're looking at the restrictions around the harvesting of native forest trees and then plantation alternatives. But the interest is in finding out whether or not those plantation-grown alternatives have the same resistance to termite damage as a native-grown tree might. That is 100% correct, Sam. Even when I first joined the timber research in Queensland forestry nearly 40 years ago, it was put into me that if you grew something quicker, like a plantation setting for a hardwood or whatever, you start to lose some of the, the natural attributes that made that timber what it is, such as resistance to decay and termites. So there is a concern that if you grow it quickly, you're not going to have the same sort of attributes. So that's one of the driving reasons behind this work. And believe it or not, there hasn't actually been that much research on the termite resistance of plantation-grown hardwoods. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about what the research has actually looked like from a practical perspective? Yeah, well, there's been a little bit of work done over but most of the eucalypt research uh, and plantations have been for fibre production, pulp and paper. So a lot of the research work has been done on that. So the research work that has been done has looked at cutting some fairly large boards out of a log, let's say maybe three or four positions radially from the centre to the outside. So you might have something like inner heartwood, uh, middle heartwood, outer heartwood and, and maybe sapwood to test whether that was resistant to termite attack. A little bit um, non-nuanced. You could be straddling areas where the timber changes from juvenile heartwood uh, into mature heartwood and you may miss that or, or straddle it. It wasn't quite uh, doing the job as far as what I was concerned. So Dr. Uh, Robbie McGavin from Queensland DAF came up with a wonderful idea of rotary peeling the log so that we could get small three millimeter increments samples from the center to the outside for testing and that was a, a wonderful idea that I fell in love with straight away. 
I know you were saying that, you know, the more mature the tree gets, sometimes attributes might change. Has that also involved looking at trees at different stages in their growth? I would love to do that, Sam. This study is really more of a building a platform. We really want to know whether the method is a valid method or not. Um, And the early results are certainly showing that. And this is for my master's rather than our PhD. I can already see some of the recommendations in, in my final thesis is going to be saying we need to look at different age trees, different trees from different areas, different species. Yeah. I said that gets very complex and very expensive. So this is more of a testing the method to see whether or not it works and whether it would be worthwhile then applying it to different species, trees of different ages, location, all of that. With this research that you're working on at the moment, could you tell me a little bit more about how that actually works? When you've got when you get the samples from the trees, what does the kind of testing then look like to figure out the termite resistant? Okay, yeah, no, good question. So I actually drilled a hole from the outside to the centre of the tree so that I could, when the veneer was laid out, wherever there was a hole, I knew that that was from the same radial plane. So I'd take my sample from, from there. It was dried. I then cut it up into smaller pieces. After we rotary peeled the log, so it's lying in a big flat veneer, um, I've got a trial site in North Queensland where we have mounds of Australia's most economically important termite, which is Coptotomies asinaciformis. And I build little platforms surrounded by timber. I then bust into the mound underground and wick the termites into my term uh, pads. And I have all of those samples surrounded by termite conducive material. So they can spend six months picking and choosing which pieces they'd uh, like to consume. Uh, and they decide what's palatable or in more terms for the trial, what's resistant and what isn't resistant. I was also eager to know whether there are any findings that you can share so far from that testing. Yeah, Sam. We had the International uh, Research Group Conference in Cairns in May and Professor Morell uh, asked whether I could have some interim results ready. So two out of the five, so two-fifths of the trial, I actually harvested on the way up and then actually visually assessed them in the motel room the night before the conference yeah. and put together the um, the information and the results were actually quite amazing. It's a little bit hard to describe, but visually the inner probably 25 to 30% of the log, so what we'd call juvenile wood. So there was about 15 samples in that 20 or 30% of the inner were actually severely attacked by termites. So we're talking, you know, 60, 70% mass loss, which is quite a bit. And then obviously that's when the mature heartwood started to kick in. It dropped right down to either zero or one or 2% until I got right to the sapwood and then bang, up to 90 to 80% where the sapwood was consumed. So it was an amazing result expected it was quite striking how would that compare then to a native grown tree of the same species what would you expect to see there if you were to do a like by like comparison that is a great question and that's another thing i would really like to do is do a direct comparison but to answer your question i think it would be similar but with a with a native grown if i can just grab this piece of wood here yeah um that's the disc from one of the logs. So that's at 20 years of age, yep. um, grown in a plantation. Similar size tree in the native, you know, it might be 60 to 100 years old. There's different growth rates. So I would expect that that juvenile wood in a native grown would be a lot smaller. You would get similar feeding on it, but it would be a smaller proportion of the overall log 
diameter, if that makes sense. Yes. And so then how would you foresee this knowledge being used by industry going forwards? So if we are aware that, you know, the attack level or the damage or decay level caused by termites is more severe in these species, is, is it about then looking for ways to protect or strengthen or, or fortify that timber? In my mind, there's two aspects to that. At the moment, like Dr. McGavin said to me, which which stuck in my mind, that he got a question from somebody um, who was growing some lovely hardwood plantation material um, and, and thinking about using it for a power pole and got asked the question, well, how does the durability compare to, to native growing? He said he didn't. He doesn't know that answer. So I suppose this I can compare to published data so we can get a bit of an idea on the um, natural durability of uh, the plantation-grown species and so far it's looking that it's fairly similar but the other one which is interesting and a a little bit more philosophical is how you grow trees at the moment when you grow trees a grower wants volume so they want to grow the tree quickly as possible there might be something in that the juvenile wood might be age related so if it starts growing mature wood at say age eight or ten i'm just pulling a figure out if you silviculturally slowed down the growth of plantations so you kept the stocking at a high rate you may stunt the tree and then later at, at eight or ten years, open it up and let it grow, and you might find that the proportion of that juvenile wood is a lot less. So I'm hoping that we might be able to do some work to, to actually change the silvicultural practices for plantation-grown hardwoods. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So it's actually about the way that the uh, the trees are grown that you could offer advice on in terms of making sure that whatever timber products are created from those trees have that termite resistance. Correct. That is a nice to have. I mean, that's, that's up in the sky but that would be a lovely outcome but for me it's getting more information on the natural termite resistance of plantation grown hardwoods and being able to give that information and confidence to the industry that when someone grows a, a wonderful thing like the, the uh, gimpy messmate uh, at 20 years is, is a very good sized tree and beautiful and straight that they'd have confidence to be able to use it for a power pole or, or cut it up for structural timber and, and speaking of the international research group on wood protection annual meeting that you mentioned just before you were the recipient of an award during that event yes uh, very surprised i must admit but um very very proud of it as, as well but uh, yeah it was uh, it was a pretty big meeting quite a few countries and quite a few participants there so i uh, got awarded the uh, the best overall technical presentation so very happy with that but as far as this technique of rotary peeling i'm not aware of anybody in the world doing it so i I believe that it's probably a world first for, for that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that this may be something that other countries or other researchers take on board and use as a method of collecting media for testing. And what stage are you at then in the process? How much has been done and how much is yet to do? Uh, as I said before, two-fifths of the trial I harvested in May. About four or five weeks ago, I went up and harvested the remaining samples. They are currently air drying. I am in the process of cutting up the uh, matched samples that I have stored and I'm going to be doing some extractive analysis to work out chemically uh, what extractives are there once again in three millimeter increments and I'm also going to be doing the density so I'll be able to marry those two important timber attributes against the termite resistance, the mass loss and work out from there as to what is behind any termite resistance differences that, uh, that come up 
So I'm, I'm hoping to have uh, everything done by about uh, May, June next year. Really interesting update there from Scott. Uh, but now a little more from my chat with Tripti. I know that you said that there's a big focus on the engagement of all the various different stakeholders across the supply chain and getting to know them in order to be able to foster that sense of collaboration, but also knowing that you're focusing on research that the industry wants and, and needs. Yeah. Have you managed to get out and about and, and meet a lot of those stakeholders or is that an ongoing thing? Yeah, it is an ongoing thing. But, uh, you know, I have been out and about. I have a couple of opportunity to present at different conferences. Uh, one of them was Timber Offsite Construction Conference, mainly attended by a lot of architects and designers. Uh, so I was invited to give a presentation on moisture management. And that is one of the biggest issue in mass timber construction. So yeah, I am getting quite a bit of invites and interest and going and seeing some of the mills. So uh, tomorrow yeah. I'm going to AKD mill close to Brisbane. Um, yeah, no, I'm getting to see and understand what the industry need is, but it is ongoing task. So I know that you're well regarded on the global stage and I know that um, FWPA in particular is really keen to do more and more in that sense of global collaborations and creating global networks and seeing what we can learn from other countries and what they're doing. Are there opportunities that you foresee for you to tap into your global network to extract information or ideas or research findings that could be useful and applicable here in, in Australia? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have all intention to be connected internationally as I have done throughout my career and yeah. uh, so we have a really good network of international research group on wood protection and I am in the executive committee so every year we meet and discuss research we learn from each other and um, as an executive committee member I get to have the opportunity to interact with the key researcher more often, like every three months, we have a Zoom call and we have a number of projects internationally, uh, which is a coordinated project. And I intend to continue and get more involved in those. So the second project Tripti suggested that we take a look at as part of this episode was the Centre's Timber Circularity Project, which is focused on improving the environmental profile of treated timber by identifying appropriate alternative uses for it at end of life. I caught up with Dr Penny Mitchell of the University of the Sunshine Coast who is leading this work to find out a bit more. Basically at the moment we harvest timber, we process it, use it in buildings or bridges or agricultural purposes. When it gets to the end of life, most of it will end up in landfill or being burnt for energy, which is sort of a very linear process. So what we're looking to do is actually get um, end of life timber resource, which is very valuable, back into circulation, so back into um, higher value products. 
So then with this project specifically, what is it that you're looking to achieve? So this particular project is really focused on those hard to deal with end of life uh, resources. So engineered wood, particular um, wood products and understanding the resource, how much there is, uh, whereabouts that resource is located and understanding the quality and condition of that resource. So we can actually start building infrastructure and solutions to utilise that resource. I know that you mentioned there there were some timbers or, or, or some of the resource which proves more problematic to kind of find different uses for at end of life than others. What is it about those types of timber that, that make them more problematic to find new purposes for? Basically any additive. So if you've got virgin timber, then um, that resource can be used in a multitude of ways. There's no contaminants, but with engineered wood products and and treated timber, both of those products make great use of timber that might not be able to be used in in other applications. So we, we can create glue lamb and a particle board and a whole range of engineered wood products. We're utilising that resource, um, but we're putting glues into it. So there's um, issues at end of life, what can actually happen with that timber. The same as treating timber, we can extend the life of a, you know, log or piece of wood for, you know, six 10 times the length so it makes it very durable and long lasting but then at end of life you know can we recycle that treated timber into other products um Mm. how how do we deal with that so it's getting an understanding of like you say what's out there where it is and what kind of treatments it has undergone and then that can dictate how that timber can then potentially be continued to be used in some form Exactly. Well, for example, we've just done an analysis of um, vineyard logs. So they will be in the ground for 20 plus years. And so at end of end of life, they, they generally, the logs are still in good condition because they don't just um, break of their own accord. It's actually the harvesting equipment that breaks the logs. So the logs come out and we need to work out, well, can they be reused? Is there um, still the, the level of treatment in those logs that we would like to see if we're going to use them in ground applications for other agricultural or landscaping purposes? So that type of understanding of retention of treatment is important and with the analysis that we've been doing is showing that it's um good level of retention and, and above what you would need for a new new treatment so those those logs can be reused in agricultural applications which is um obviously a positive or well, what prompted the work what was the problem that the project was was looking to solve from the outset, we, we don't want to be sending uh, valuable resources to landfill. Mm. Uh, the Australian government has also got a remit to have a circular economy by 2030. So we don't want to be sending this resource 
to landfill. We don't want to be burning it. We want to be doing a, a much higher and and more beneficial application of timber. Um, you know, it's it stores carbon. There's you know there's so yeah. many benefits. And this might be a stupid question, and it's probably something that I should already know the answer to. But once it is burnt, once it is incinerated, does that carbon that it's been storing for the whole time does that then get released back into the atmosphere? It does, and that's why we want to restrict that. And, you know, there's been studies out for, you know, 20-plus years saying that we realistically we should be able to cascade timber through seven life cycles before it um, gets composted or or right. turned into biochar or, um, you know, sort of those very last step solutions. But if, if we're looking at seven cascades, then obviously yeah. we use um, the timber as something quite valuable in the first instance. So it would be a fairly large sawn timber piece in, in a building that might have, you know, 30 to 60 year lifespan in a building, and then it will come out and potentially be resized. So become you know, smaller members. Um, and so we keep having sort of these 30, 60 year lifespans and the timber potentially gets reduced in size and then maybe becomes a, a window frame or a piece of furniture. And um, then we can get down to sort of particle board size, MGF size, um, and then uh, sort of very final stages, depending on whether the, the glues and the treatments um, are there, whether we can extract the chemicals and heavy metals and get clean fibre for other uses. So, yeah, it, it just really depends on the characteristics and that's probably why we're trying to really understand what what the resource is, what we've actually got so we can understand how to use it. And the, you know, there's not one solution to this. There's, there's hmm. multiple solutions. If we take that uh, metric of, of seven lifetimes, for instance, where would you say we are in terms of moving towards that seven lifetimes per sort of piece of timber at the moment? So we, we don't see a lot of a lot of reuse, unfortunately. We do yeah. see timber being used as biomass for energy, for example, and and hardwood is probably used you know, sort of appropriately. Um, so we see, you know, sort of old bridge timbers or old building timbers come out and go into furniture, for example, or some sort of niche um, architectural applications. So we're seeing a little bit, but, but it, you know, a scratch yeah. on the surface really of, of the potential. So this project will really help with that then, presumably the, the, the findings and the insights would actually enable a lot more of of that reuse of timber yeah that's what we're hoping um uh, because at the moment we are you know limited with the time that we've got so we do have to focus on um particular uh, resources but hopefully the work can be built on in the future so we can have a truly circular timber economy in australia uh, there must be benefits there for the industry as well in terms of forestry and wood products if you're able to resell, I suppose, in the most basic terms, timber at its end of life for another purpose, then there is also a financial incentive to, to doing that as well, I would presume. I think so. I think that what we see with the circular economy, there's there's great um, economic benefits 
So I would think that that would transpose to the timber industry as well if they get on board. We're already seeing um, small impacts. So, for example, a frame and truss manufacturer will send their offcuts, which they would normally pay quite a hefty disposal fee for, to go into other applications, um, particle board or glue lamb, for example. Um, so now they're not paying to dispose of it. And I suspect in the future that will actually become, you know, the, the wood fibres will be have a cost associated with them. It will yeah. be, companies will be paid to to pass their um, timber resource on. Yes, it's a double benefit. You're not having to pay to get it disposed of and someone's actually paying to take it away. The work as it stands, it began quite recently, didn't it? As I understand, it was the beginning of this year and then it's due to continue up until uh, 2026, I think I read somewhere. Yeah, it is. It's a three-year project, so we've got another couple of years after this. We're making some some headway and, um, yeah, I hope to have a few outcomes, but probably the, the main outcome will be a pilot. So we'll actually identify a region, we'll work with industry to collect timber, we'll treat it or process it in some way and, um, you know, have a regional solution because this will be on a regional basis, as I said before, you know, the, the same solution won't be appropriate everywhere. There will be different timber resources in different locations. We don't want to be transporting timber all over Australia. It's better to have a regional, local solution that suits the area. Did I read something about one of the outcomes, but to have a um, like a, a geospatial map, which would um, include things like the the locations of waste streams and um, you know opportunities for recycling and, and other um, opportunities that exist in an area for the reuse of timber. Yeah, so we're building that geospatial map as we speak, but it will be something that can be built on. We're doing a um, regulatory overview. State-by-state um, state differences will really impact on a circular economy, so um, bringing those into line or understanding um, transport issues we're looking at because every time you move something, every time you lift something, every time you take something off the back of the truck, it's a costly exercise. So there's been a lot of mapping done of forest resources, um, but that's when timber's at its highest value, so economically you know, it's not too bad to move around. But as soon as you get to that lower value, then the, the costs obviously sometimes outweigh the ability to use that product. So, the, yeah, there's lots of things that we're actually looking at so that we can actually come out with sensible outcomes that are industry-focused and that, that, are, that are viable. Another really interesting update there from Penny. It's certainly an exciting time for the centre as it continues its evolution into a thriving and respected research hub under the leadership of Professor Tripti Singh. And we'll be sure to keep you up to date with uh, more news and updates out of the centre as its research projects continue to progress. Uh, But in the meantime, that's it for another episode of Wood Chats. Uh, We hope you liked what you heard and uh, that you'll join us again next time for more fascinating timber-related talk. (laughs) 